0: More Christian Than Black. That is a recent article by Isaac Adams from Nine Marks Ministry, and we are going to talk about that here today on The Rap Report.
1: Welcome to The Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content, or to request a speaker, or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.
0: Well, welcome to another weekly edition of The Wrap Report. And today is going to be a little bit different than typical. Usually I'm on here talking with either a topic or with uh, the Bible discussing different scriptures. But this is going to be different because we have a, well, unfortunately, a little bit of a heated issue. So, we have a special guest with us, and he and I are going to go through this article that I mentioned earlier, The More Christian Than Black or White by Isaac Adams. And this was put out by Nine Marks Ministry. And I have with me Daryl Harrison from Just Thinking Podcast. And, Daryl, how you doing this evening? And introduce yourself to my audience, please.
2: Hey, Andrew. First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, doing really well. Uh, Just off of a fresh treadmill workout, man, so I'm ready to go, ready to talk about this article with you. And uh, as you said, man, I'm a a co-host, lead host of the Just Thinking podcast, which is an extension of my blog, which you can locate at justthinking.me, that's justthinking.me. And the podcast I co-host with my brother in crime, Virgil Walker, and uh, Virgil and I got together by, I think, a common friend of ours, uh, Dwayne Atkinson, who I believe you know uh, fairly well. Yes. And so we've been doing the podcast for a few months now, and uh, it's going really, really well. So, again, it's a pleasure to be with you this evening.
0: Well, you you recently, and I'm going to end up linking your podcast that you guys did on Just Thinking in the show notes here, but you guys were dealing with some issues after the uh, MLK50 conference. Mm -hmm. Um, fortunately for me, my head was in the sand planning and wedding planning for my daughter. And I didn't even know any of that happened till after, after the event and everyone started sending me (laughs) Mm -hmm. articles and things saying, have you seen this? Have you read this? Uh, and the same thing happened again today. Uh, A friend of a friend of mine, I think the same person, Justin Peters, sent the same article to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Justin sent this article to me asking if I had read this and I had not Uh, knew that you and I were recording tonight and was like, wow, okay, this will this will be the thing we should we almost need to talk about. Um, So let's let's start off really quick. Uh, I will give my background, let you give your background because I think our backgrounds will play into this. Mm -hmm. Um, I am what would be considered white. and I'm really white, like the, I turn red when it's, the sun is out, right? I, I have a lack of melanin. Uh, I'm from a Jewish background. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to approach this very different, coming from, as someone who grew up a generation after the Holocaust mm-hmm. from an, in an anti-Semitic area. Uh, I've been beaten up often because of my ethnicity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so this is a thing that just because I may not be uh, black or african american doesn 't mean i don 't understand what it means to struggle as a minority, mm-hmm. um, but you 're going to also find when people ask me that i 'm oh are you a messianic Jew are you a completed jew no i 'm a christian mm-hmm. that 's what i am i 'm a Christian because I believe in jesus christ mm-hmm. it 's not that I gave up completely my Judaism, but i don 't identify myself by my Judaism. I identify myself. As a Christian mm-hmm. and I value the things of my Jewish upbringing, but I was seen as a traitor by my family, my family, as some know, uh, when I became a Christian, my father went uh, shopping for a casket. he was going to bury an empty casket, and I was going to be dead to him wow. that 's how serious it was. Uh, I have family members that would I would not be able to speak to uh, about this I was told I would because of certain things that happened in my family my parents did not bury that casket mm-hmm. but i am seen as a traitor to the faith mm-hmm. to anyone that's jewish and and you, i have seen where people will find out that i was once jewish and now christian and they will just walk away mid sentence on me mm-hmm. why because there is such hatred for someone like me i'm worse than a gentile for many jewish people that's my background, and I grew up after the Holocaust remembering very much what we're taught the, about the Holocaust so that we would never let it happen again. And I'm going to say that as I did with the, the episode we did in the past on guns and Christianity or guns in the church, I think that Christians are playing into a playbook that is re, going to rewrite history or, or re-encounter history again with what happened with Nazi Germany. But it's not going to be the Jews, and it's not going to be Germany. It's going to be the Christians in America, and we're falling right into it. That's going to be my position. Daryl, what's your background? Yeah,
2: well, my background, uh, I grew up in the 70s. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta uh, on the west side of the city, and probably what is still today one of the most impoverished uh, areas of the city. Uh, you know, you can call it a ghetto, you can call it an inner city hood, or whatever you want to call it. But we grew up materially poor. I mean, there were many nights uh, where we went hungry. Uh, my parents uh, worked very, very hard to try to make ends meet. But I can remember growing up as a boy. You know, some of the utilities not being on all the time, the electricity would be out because you know my parents couldn't pay the bill, or the gas would be turned off. And you know, we never lived in a in a house. So when I say that, what I mean is every address I remember ever living at had an apartment number. So we never had a home of our own. Uh, you know, Most of my life, we grew up in public housing. Uh, at, at, at times, we would we would have to fend off of uh, welfare and eat uh, public food. My mom would bring, uh, she worked for years at a public high school cafeteria, and sometimes she would bring what many might call government food home for us to eat. So if it weren't for that, uh, we may not, not have had anything to eat uh, on some nights. Um, so, I didn't have the most uh, opportunistic upbringing as it relates to opportunities and uh, advantages, what uh, many might call by the buzzword today privileged. I didn't have many privileges growing up. But the thing about it is, and this may sound sort of cliche to folks, I never uh, saw myself as disadvantaged. I really didn't. I never saw myself disadvantaged, not a single day of my life. To be honest with you, I only say that I grew up poor in hindsight, because growing up actually in that uh, in that uh, experience, never heard the word poor mentioned in my house, never by my family. We were never poor. Uh, so uh, we never were uh, identified uh, by our, what many would call, race. And you know, I, I already, Andrew, how I feel about that word, but I'll go ahead and use it for the sake of, of this uh, interview. But uh, the
3: the, the the
2: the descriptive by race never came up. Uh, And I grew up, I went to a predominantly white junior high school, ended up transferring to a predominantly black high school. But for my junior high years, I went to a predominantly white junior high school. Um, After graduating high school, I went to the military where I did six years there and had very uh, uh, multicultural relationships uh, in the military. Uh, I grew up, in what would be termed the black church quote unquote spent half my life as members of uh, predominantly black congregation churches and then uh half my life in predominantly white congregation churches so uh, i'm experienced on both sides of that sort of ecclesiastical uh uh you know uh, background you might say but uh you know here where we stand today uh I just think, uh, you know, looking back on my own upbringing and my own introduction to Christianity, which I credit with my mother, uh, my mother wore the spiritual pants in the family. So she was the one that always made sure that my brother and sister and I were at church every Sunday. So, you know, if you grew up in a, if you were black growing up in the hood, you probably attended up what may be called a Pentecostal holiness type, full gospel type church. Where the worship experience was very emotional, very loud, uh, very heavy on homiletics, but very light on hermeneutics. So you you didn't grow up uh, you grew up reading the Bible, but you didn't grow up learning how to study it. You read because you were supposed to read it. Uh, you didn't read it because you wanted to read it. Uh, so that, and I've learned that there's a distinct difference in that. So. Uh, So growing up in that experience, I can still lean on that today to where, uh, you know, I can relate to both sides. So if someone wants to come and talk to me from the perspective of what it's like for a black person to attend a predominantly white church, I can speak to that. But if you want to talk about the quote unquote black church experience, I can speak to that as well. Um, So, you know, I'm excited to talk about what we're going to. To over in this uh, interview uh, because I think I can bring both experiences to the, uh, the question that Isaac Adams is raising in his uh, nine marks piece.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I was going to get to it as we go throughout, but that you, you just raised one of the key issues is I think a, the big struggle is a lot of people view this from their own position, and very few people can do what you just said be able to try to examine it from both sides. Mm -hmm. Most people view the other side, but they're really viewing it from their own position.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's true. That's very true. So you can't, and see, that's what's so problematic in having conversations like this is that when you're coming from your own personal experience, it's intrinsically subjective. Um, Even my experience is subjective, which is why I have difficulty personally. I don't know Isaac Adams. Uh, I've read his uh, material before. He's an excellent writer, very talented writer. I don't know him personally, but when you're coming from your own personal experiences and you're addressing a, uh, a certain question or issue to a certain demographic, you're imparting your experience into the question that you're posing. And that's problematic from the start. Uh, For me, I spent 20-something years as a member of a predominantly white church. I was a member of First Baptist Church of Atlanta for 23 years. Uh, The experience there was different. So you're not going to have, as I said earlier, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, who's still the pastor there, he's got more of a teaching style. So his homiletical style is going to be, completely different from what you will find in an inner city black church. Uh, His homiletical style is not going to be attractive to many black Christians. uh, and, And they'll decide either on that basis or maybe another aesthetical basis. Well, I don't like the music. I'm a gospel. I like gospel music. I don't like hymns. I like somebody who, is uh, engaging from the pulpit. I don't want somebody there who's more like a teacher. You know, so it's things like that. But it, it was it was in those 23 years, I learned how to, I sort of graduated, I like to say, from just a reader of the Bible to a student of it. Now, Stanley and First Baptist Atlanta, they're not reformed. You know, they probably got more of an Arminian soteriology, uh, but that's not the point. The point is, is I, I stayed at that church, for longer than i stayed at any other church because I was learning something there. I left the black church that had been in my family for generations, a small black church on Northside Drive near the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, a little church called Chapel Hill Missionary Baptist Church. I was there until I was 23 years old. And I left just all of a sudden because it just hit me as an epiphany that I'm not learning anything here. I've got family members here. I've got cousins and nieces and everything here. My parents are here. My siblings are here. Everybody I know uh, who are close to me attend this church. But there was something in me to where that wasn't enough. Uh, and I ended up leaving, ended up going to First Baptist Atlanta, ended up staying there for 23 years. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so there's, there's dynamics to play that come into play uh, in each individual's experience, and it's, it's, it's you know, we, ne- we really need to be hesitant to impart those experiences onto others, either in the sense that they haven't experienced that, so we count it as a deficiency in them, or we use it as leverage to get them to see the world as we do. That's a very, very dangerous thing to do
0: and you know one of the things for folks who listened to the episode i did you know with Wayne, you know we we discussed some of the differences with the black church and and as you brought out the the differences in the the way the worship the whole service is done on the last podcast that you guys did you dealt with the issue of language of racism the sin of of you know being sin of proxy Mm -hmm. the the thing that got me with this article so i'm going to read some some quotes so we could go through this but and i and i don't think that we will get through this whole article today Uh, i do know that uh, a a friend of mine uh, tom buck has asked if he can discuss this as well so i may actually do two weekly podcasts this week Uh, and maybe through two of them we can cover the whole thing but but here let me read some of this he said he says Brothers, and and by the way, just for folks who don't know, the author of this article, Isaac Adams, is an African-American. He says that right in the front because he says, I write to my white brothers who pastor churches in America. I write as a black brother. But he says this. He says, brothers, I want to suggest that since our Christian identity matters most, our racial identity and other people's racial identities ought to matter more, not less. He says further, since your Christian identity matters most, you should lay down the status your racial identity gives you for the sake of the gospel. Um, you know, one of the things because he ends up saying that's what Paul did, and I and I disagree. That's not what Paul did. Right, I disagree as well. Yeah. Paul never gave up his Roman citizenship. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. didn't give up his, his Jewish background, but what he did is he didn't identify as that. Right. Um, th- that's the thing. I You know, look, I guess I should should say this. I, I briefly said it, but I know that there's many who are going to listen. And coming from someone who's white, it's going to immediately get people upset. They're going to be thinking that as a white person, I shouldn't be, be speaking on these things. I shouldn't... Uh, that my opinion may not matter. I understand that for many people, this is an emotional topic. What I want to do is I would like us to get past the emotion and get us thinking, because if we don't think rightly according to the way God's word says about these issues, we are never going to get past the emotion. Yeah. We need to think right about it. Do you agree with that there?
2: Yeah, I agree with you completely on that, and I think uh, you know there are two things. There's two presumptions here, two problematic presumptions that that I see Adams uh, making in this article in the paragraph specifically that you read. Um, you know, number one, uh, he he's saying that our uh, racial identities ought to matter more, not less, and uh, that that's what that's what Paul did. That he laid down his racial identity. Uh, and you're absolutely right about Paul. Paul never did that, uh, but what's problematic for me in the, the thesis that uh, Adams is presenting here is that he's presuming that the white pastors that he's addressing this, this, this letter, this article two, have no affinity whatsoever to the racial animus that Isaac is, is, is pointing to in this piece uh he's 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 addressed a letter to white pastors he says as a black brother i write with two things i love you in Christ. A sincere question then he goes on to ask the question what's more important our christian identity or our racial identity Uh, i'm going to get back to that in a second i think that's a trick question i think that's the wrong question to be asking but to posit this argument in a way that you just sort of paint with a broad brush that because these pastors are white that you have to educate You're, you're already assuming that they know absolutely nothing of the the paradigm that from which you're coming and making this argument so you're having to educate them using incorrectly using paul as an as an incorrect example of what they these white pastors in your subjective opinion ought to do you see and that's that that is significantly problematic uh, for me that you're you're presupposing that these white pastors know nothing about this but but you're the one to educate them and and, 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 and modeling Paul as the example of uh, laying down their privilege which they are afforded by virtue of their racial identity and there's another Problem that I have with it, you're assuming that because they're white they're privileged and to go back to your point Andrew about the the podcast that we just did Where the first thing we said off the bat? Was that what's not happening in all this discourse going back and forth is that nobody's defining the terms? So you have a term here like privilege. What what does he mean by that? You see nobody's defining what privilege means you know, so unless you define the terms, to me, it's a non-starter. We have to define terms. Otherwise, the context in which we're going to have this conversation is going to be non-existent. And if, if there's no agreement in context, there's, no, there's going to be no progress made whatsoever. So he's presuming that because they're white, they're privileged. And then he's, again, wrongly using Paul as, as an example that to point to the solution that 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 Adams thinks these these uh, these pastors should adopt. Uh, so I've got i got big problems with this.
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you where I see a concern with it, with what you're bringing up right there. I have a real concern with this notion of privilege, white privilege, and even more so, what's scarier is Christian privilege. Yeah, I said I come from a, a generation after the Holocaust. I, I've had to in Hebrew school in 10 11 years of Hebrew school we watched every documentary on the holocaust i, I still to, to this day will read and anything on the holocaust here's the thing this is exactly what the nazis did to the jews is to say that they were privileged and then use yeah. that privilege to start saying they they shouldn't have a voice in this in teaching schools they shouldn't have a voice in 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 the law they shouldn 't have a voice they these things have to be prevented, and then eventually they were able to to when they no longer had a voice, there was no one there that would defend them there 's right. no one there that could say anything yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah that that 's absolutely right i mean i have I've, I've not watched nearly as many uh, and i know not nearly as much as you do uh about the uh the holocaust uh, andrew but again it's to your point it 's really It's really interesting, if not concerning, how, when you go back to how subtly the Nazis took power, it was very subtle. Uh, They presented themselves as friends of the German people, which is is the, the whole approach. That was the whole idea, to come across and disguise and mask what their true intentions were. And I see the church specifically succumbing to that same sort of subtlety.
0: Well, see, here's the thing that ended up happening with the Jews is that when the when the Germans started laying out their very well organized plan, in in because you don't have across an entire country like a night of the long knives without planning. I'm yeah. sorry. You know? Yeah. And you end up seeing this over and over again that these things will be planned out and then something triggers it and everything gets moved starts rolling into place so you end up seeing this that they were ready taking the subtle steps to get them out of positions where they could defend themselves in any way and they used them them, they used the the culture against them where where what ended up happening was the jewish people started trying to to get along and Mm. give up some of their rights Mm -hmm. some of the things to, to just to get along because hey better that we're we're at least not being attacked right and they didn't realize it all along it was eventually going to be, they're going to be attacked. Right. This is exactly what we have. We have, we're, we're, we're talking about this privilege, whether it be white and now being talked about Christian privilege. And eventually you're going to see us people, you already see with Bernie Sanders saying, well, because someone's a Christian, they, they can't hold public office. If yeah. people don't see this and see this as a very serious thing. And the problem is we have people in the church going, hey let's let's give into this let's give into this this is where my real concern is and I'll, because as i look at this i see exactly what the jews did you know the jews were were gathered up and thrown into the ghettos and they, they what boggles my mind is people would still sit there and say oh but they wouldn't be killing us because they need us we're the workforce we yes. were the slaves right and, and it's like we're too civilized for people to be doing that. And they were doing it, right? People just turned a blind eye because they couldn't believe a civilized country could do something like Germany was doing. And we're doing it. And, and I, my call is to the church to say, wake up. Realize that we sh- we should not be repeating history in this way. And and trying to divide the church as we do. And now I really think that we're in a, a serious stage in the American church where we are trying to now divide the church based on color.
2: Yeah, and the church. I mean, the church is already divided. They're not even trying to divide us anymore. We are divided, and that division is even made is made even more sad because we the church is cooperating in that division. Yeah. Listen. Every time. Listen. This is not a personal attack against Isaac Adams. Correct. So what I'm about to say, I speak in general terms, is that when articles like this come out. They're intrinsically divisive because the premise, right off the bat, you're you're addressing your article to one ethnic audience up against another ethnic audience. So that's intrinsically divisive right there. Now, you you may say, well, I come to you, brothers, my white pastors in love. I love you uh, in Christ. You, You may say that, but you... Started the conversation off with a divisive tone. And see, here's what there's, there's many things that disturb me about this, what I call this sort of this sort of kumbaya movement that, that sort of has the church thinking, well, we all need to get along. It's kind of like Rotten King back in the day, we all get along. We're all supposed to live in this sort of Nirvanic state of uh, ethnic unity, you know, as if we don't know what the scriptures say. We we just have forgotten. What the scriptures say, and we're trying to bring about our own uh, sort of extra propitiatory uh, salvation. What I mean by that, Christ's work, his propitiatory work on the cross, is insufficient. So we have to uh, atone, maybe sort of a, a, a foster our own atonement at the cult, socio cultural level, because this is really why Christ died, so we could all get along and that's not why Christ died you know I'm looking at a a text right now in Revelation 22 verse 11 it says "Let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy but that's in the last book of the Bible still talking about people's sinful nature not changing even up until the point in time before Christ returns the the human nature is not going to change and yet here we are succumbing to this language of kumbaya and ethnic unity as if, uh, as if that in itself is salvific to some degree. But that's not the salvation that Christ died to bring about. But you're absolutely right. They're capturing the, they're capturing the church with language like privilege, uh, equity, uh, uh, reconciliation, really nice, feel good type words, but nobody's defining them. Yeah. Nobody's defining them. And we're, we're just being sucked into it. And it's the church itself that's helping to divide itself.
0: You know, and the thing is that this article, here's the thing. He's trying to make an argument with Paul the difference with Paul, the Jews, and the Gentiles. A lot of people don't understand that distinction. I mean, a Jewish person never entered a Gentile home. Right. There, there was a hatred for the, the Gentiles right. from the Jewish people. I don't know that it was reciprocal, but, but the Jewish people do not trust the Gentiles. They don't. They're just, they, you know, if you, even today, if right. you, I happen to live in, in what's the largest area of Talmudic studies in the East Coast. Okay? A very Jewish area and there's just no associating with with non-Jewish people with with Gentiles and you this division is there and people want to appeal to Paul but here's the thing this article from Isaac Adams he appeals to Paul over and over again but there's a difference in what he's doing and what Paul did he's asking others to accept something Mm -hmm. he's telling others how to think Mm -hmm. Paul made the choice on how to think. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in me deciding that I'm going to think differently of someone and me telling someone how they should think of me. These are very different. Paul does speak about this, and and this is one verse in any of the articles I've read from people on this issue. They never want to address this verse when they want to talk about Paul. This is Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, with specifically dealing with the Jew-Gentile issue. He's specifically talking, and he makes it very clear. You really should start from the beginning of context in, in verse 11. But as you look through this, the issue for the, it, that Paul makes over the ethnicity issue is not ethnicity. Right. It's the gospel. Right. This is the difference. When people like Mr. Adams wants to ap- appeal to Paul, they're doing it, but I think it's, it's out of context. Right. Because they're doing it by saying that, Paul's saying that we we should recognize these differences. And yet what Paul says in verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility Mm -hmm. by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two So making peace that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, Mm -hmm. thereby killing the hostility. He's recognizing there's hostility between Jews and Gentiles at that time. And what he's saying kills it is not trying to better identify one another or give up our background or somehow be more accepting of one another. He says it is the gospel, the cross. It's what Christ did. That's what brings the reconciliation. This is what the church of all people, of all groups, should be proclaiming loudly to the world because this is the message the world needs. The world is saying that there's a division between black and white. We're starting to see, even in America now, a segregation where you're starting to see all black schools. It's, a, it's, the, it's the reverse. It's taken gone full course now. And, and we see... As the church, we should be the ones proclaiming the reconciliation. The solution to this is the gospel, not trying to tell others you have to think of me the way I want you to think of me. That's the yeah. world's way of thinking. Yeah,
2: you're absolutely right, Andrew. And what you're saying there goes back to my earlier point with respect to um, Isaac's Isaac's uh, perspective on this, is that he's trying to tell people how to think. And that's coming from his own subjective paradigm, his own subjective experience, and I think what's interesting about the text that you just raised, when you read through uh, Ephesians 2, verse 16, is that there are people out there who are among the sort of social justice uh, demographic who will focus on the reconciliation aspect of that text. Okay, They'll focus on that and they'll stop there. So they will sort of spin the text uh, by focusing on that, reconcil- that word recon- reconcile or reconciliation, and then they will. Th- there's two things that they miss. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but there's two things about that text that they miss. Number one, that the reconciliation that Paul is talking about there is a reconciliation that brings us into Christ, into right relationship with God through Christ. So the emphasis of the reconciliation is that the enmity, the hostility, is repaired in that we are brought into oneness with God in Christ. And then the second thing they omit is what Paul emphasizes multiple times in this text is what was the cause of the hostility to begin with. And that is the enmity that, that existed between us and God. So here you have brothers like uh, Mr. Adams Focusing on as, as many others like him do The issue is 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 that we're not reconciled to one another. That's the best the problem See that that's the problem that they're proffering. Well w- blacks and whites need to be reconciled to one another we need to do xyz as he's suggesting in this article in the paragraph that you just read and I quote Isaac here quote you should lay down the status of your racial identity lay down the status, your racial identity gives you for the sake of the gospel, unquote. So that's the, that's what Isaac is suggesting is the way towards resolving this enmity, this hostility. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that the gospel, that Christ accomplishes that. And see, here's the thing, if folks were honest, they would admit that what Paul, the kind of reconciliation that Paul is talking about here, that happens as the gospel penetrates one heart at a time. If these people were honest, they would admit that they don't want to wait for that kind of transformation to take place. They don't have the patience to wait for the gospel to work in the hearts of people like yes. Paul is talking about here. And what's what's really hypocritical about that, if I can be blunt is that this is the same gospel of grace that changed their heart. And yet here you are essentially saying, well, no, I don't want to hang around and wait for the gospel to change that white person's heart. That white person that I just assume is racist because they're white. Now, they haven't done anything to me to prove that they're racist, but they're white. So I'm going to have to assume that they're racist because they're white. Which really is an indictment against God Himself, who created them to possess that particular attribute about themselves. So, if you're going to default to someone and suspect or outright accuse them of being racist or suspect them of being racist because they're white, you got a problem with God. You don't have a problem with that white person. You would got that, a with God who made them that way.
0: Would it be fair for me to say to Mr. Adams or to you, that because you're not Jewish, you're anti-Semitic. I mean, it's the same thing. So so let's, I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break, play a commercial after that. I want to, I'm going to address the thing that, that there is a, a contradiction that Mr. Adams makes in his own argument that you just brought up.
3: Ding dong, Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong, Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth. But it is very wise to know what they believe. And you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdothybelieve.com.
1: Can you prove that God is a trinity? Can you prove that Jesus is God? Can you defend the Christian faith? And what is it that Christians truly believe? The new book by Andrew Rappaport, What Do We Believe?, will answer those questions and more. Some people just don't understand what the church is today. But this book will go through the history and meaning of the church. And what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and God's salvation? Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store.
0: You know, that's actually what we are talking about. The, the importance of man's sinfulness and God's salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's part of what I cover in that book. But the thing is, that's exactly what's coming up here, is that people are are losing track of what is the issue. You know, the, the, the issue for Paul, the reason he had an issue with the Gentiles and the Jews, really he had an issue with his own people, the Jews. Okay? He, so So if we're going to take the analogy, right, that Mr. Adams is saying, Paul had an issue with his own ethnic people Okay Mm -hmm. Because they were adding to the gospel They were were corrupting the gospel Message by saying you had to be circumcised To be saved That was the issue Was works And that's not what Mr. Adams is doing He's not doing what Paul's doing He's he's not saying hey let me talk to my own people About this Because the, the simple reality is The issue that he's raising is not one of a gospel issue it's whites are not changing the definition of salvation blacks are not changing the definition of salvation and you brought up this thing that he ends up talking about about the the whiteness about giving giving this up you know in one of these things he, he right in the same paragraph he does he gives a contradiction of what he's saying he says i'm asking you to reckon with the fact of how tightly you cling to your whiteness. Uh, uh, Sorry, let me read that. I'm asking you to reckon with the fact that how tightly you cling to your whiteness matters to Christ. And then just two sentences later, so he's saying that we cling to our whiteness. I cling to my whiteness by being white. And then he ends up saying two sentences later, but how can you submit something to Christ? And there he's referring to submitting my whiteness. How can you submit something to Christ you don't believe matters that much if you don't believe it even exists? His argument is that I, I, I as a white person, don't even believe this is an issue, that it's just normal life to me. But then at the same time, he's saying, I cling to it. Those are contradictory statements. I right. can't cling to something that I don't think exists.
2: Right, see, see here, the, the, the presuppositions just ooze from this article. I mean, they really do. Number one, he doesn't define whiteness. Okay, so no, again, we're, I hate to keep beating a, a dead horse, but you got to understand the language here. That's where it starts. He uses a term that goes undefined. Uh, and number two, again, uh, he assumes, again, presumes upon you because you're white, some, you because you are uh, of a certain shade of melanin that you had absolutely nothing to do with, that that in and of itself is a, a privilege that you have above others. And and number three, uh, the, a third presumption that he makes is upon black people like me, that because I'm black by virtue of my ethnicity that I don't hold to my blackness in the same way that he's accusing you of holding your whiteness. You see, but because I'm black, see, I'm the victim. You know, I'm always the victim here. I'm always the one who's being downtrodden by people like you, Andrew. And I think we need to take a second and remind folks the question. There's a predecessor question that, that Adams bases everything else that we've been talking about, Uh, From his article here in this uh, discussion, let's revisit that for a second because the question he asked at the top, as I said earlier, I think it's a trick question. It's the wrong question. You really have to give it time to digest it to understand what's going on here. So the question he asked is, "quote What's more important, our Christian identity or our racial identity?" Unquote. So if you consider that a a legitimate question, you've already lost. Number one, that's not even a legitimate question. How can anything be at the same level of your Christian of your identity as a Christian? How can anything be at that same level, Andrew? There's nothing. What does Paul say in uh, Colossians 3? He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So whatever else there is about your quote unquote identity, that's dead. Nothing else about you matters either equally or above your position in Christ. Okay, so again, he asks the question, What's more important, our Christian identity or our racial identity? Now, I commented earlier on, I think it was on my Facebook page earlier, I said, Well, it seems like to me, it Isaac has already answered the question within the question because Let's say, for instance, if you're black and Muslim, again, he's asking the question, what's more important, your Christian identity or your racial identity? The the question has to be answered, your Christian identity, because if you're black and Muslim, then you're on your way to hell. And if you're on your way to hell, what good does your racial identity do you then? It, It does you absolutely no good. So obviously, the answer is intrinsic to the question your Christian identity is more important. Nothing else matters. Nothing is equal to that or above that. Because I'm, if I'm black and I'm any other, I hope to any other faith or religion other than Christianity, intrinsic to the gospel is John six forty four that Christ is the only way to God. So if another black person out there believes something else, you got a black Muslim, a black Hindu, a black Kabbalahist, or whatever you want to call it, black Jehovah's Witness, and they're going to hell? What do you think? How important do you think their racial identity is to them? You see, we, we have forgotten what's being lost in this whole conversation about racial reconciliation is that Christians are totally starting to forget that people are dying and going to hell. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ came to save sinners. And I've caught so much flack about this, Andrew, that I've said many times, Christ didn't come to save society. He came to save sinners. And what we what see in this whole social justice movement is people trying to twist Christianity, twist the gospel into sort of a sociocultural soteriology whereby when white pastors cooperate in doing what Isaac Adams is suggesting that they do, then that salvation will come to fruition. See, that's that social cultural salvation I'm talking about. It's not the spiritual salvation uh, that changes hearts. It's not the Romans 12, 1 and 2 type of salvation that Paul writes about, uh, the renewing of your mind. It's not that kind of salvation that they're concerned about right now. And that's really sad because that's primarily what the gospel is. It is a gospel of salvation, saving of souls from hell, from the wrath of God. Where is that message today? I'm not hearing that anymore, are you? I'm not hearing that. And we are totally forgetting that. While we try to uh, hold these racial reconciliation roundtables and conferences and everything how to get along. Like I said, the whole Rodney King, Kumbaya kind of theology going on out there. People are dying and going to hell.
0: And, and you know, the thing is, you know, so I'm, I'm a Jewish kid, Jewish guy who, who becomes a Christian who marries a Chinese girl. You know, the, the reality is he, he ends up saying this. Mr. Adams said, given how long African Americans have been silenced and marginalized in American history, many have often felt if they're consistently fighting to be seen as equals, you know, I said this to my wife, and her first reaction was, "What about the Chinese?"
2: Oh yes, absolutely. The Chinese have a have a gripe. The absolute Chinese have an amazing uh, historical argument to make. But see, here it is again. See, I'm glad you brought that up because this whole uh, discourse is predicated upon only two ethnicities having a legitimate. Uh, place in this discussion? Blacks and whites. Where are the, where do, where do Asians come in? Yeah. Where do uh, Hispanics and Latinos come in? Where do Native Americans come in? Do you see how circular this can get? You know, yeah. so, so, so you get a, the statement that you just read from Adams. Uh, see, and this is, this is, I'm going to repeat that a second. Given how long African Americans have been silenced and marginalized in American history, Many have often felt as if they're constantly fighting to be seen as equals. Well, you know, that hasn't happened to me. I'm sorry, but that hasn't happened to me.
0: You, you know, this, this is the thing. You know, we're, we're, when you, were on your podcast, were reviewing the, the thing with the, from MLK 50. Right. And, you know, I was sitting there and saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is, is he going to take responsibility for the fact that America did nothing for a while while Jewish people were being killed? Right. they weren't interested right. and people were be- they were losing their homes mm-hmm. they were they all of their valuables were just being taken over mm-hmm. families had years of of inheritance being passed down which mm-hmm. was just taken away by the by the Germans overnight mm-hmm. and and then they 6 million jews killed and i could say hey where were the african americans in america why weren't they doing something Should, do they owe something to me right no i yeah. don't i don't ask others to say you owe me something Right. Because of something that you had nothing to do with. Right. And,
2: and see, that, that's what I term sin by proxy. So you have people like uh, Mr. Adams here and others holding you accountable for generational sins that your ancestors, they just assume committed against them, against blacks now. Okay. So Asians, every other ethnicity. Sorry, you guys are out. <laughs> because, because you have no say so in this because your, uh, the atrocities that your uh, ancestors experienced on this soil don't amount to anything close to what Blacks experience on this so- soil. So that's an argument. So only Blacks have a right to speak out in this. So that's what I call sin by proxy, Andrew. So you're, you're accountable, you're guilty, you need to repent, Of the ancestral sins committed by, and and here you are, Jewish, but you're white. See, you see how you see how
0: stupid this whole conversation. My wife wife would be be white too, right? She'd be white too because she's not black. Exactly. And but see, I could do the same thing with you and say, well, you're you're Gentile, you're not Jewish. This is the same thing. You know, this is the thing going on in in Israel with with Palestine. Right, it's not who controls the land today. It's right. who did control the land. Well, we owned it before. Well, we owned it before you. Well, we owned it. You know, bingo. You know, when does it stop? At what point do you say we have to? We have to move on. It doesn't we, stop. Yeah, it doesn't
2: stop because listen, listen, the gospel is clear. Okay, and see here, I I just wrote a blog article yesterday, just published it yesterday, uh, and the title of it is "The Problem Is Enmity, Not Ethnicity." Mm-hmm. see not ethnicity. It's the same exact word that you quoted from the Apostle Paul in, in uh, Ephesians two, two fourteen. He uses the exact same word, and why did he use that? Because Paul got to the point he knew that the problem wasn't racism. The problem is what causes the racism. That's what Paul understood, and that's what people like Mr. Adams and others refuse to accept. You, th- this is going to be what I call. We're going to continue on this ethical treadmill trying to fix a spiritual problem with a cultural and social solution. And to your question, it's never going to end before Christ comes back because we refuse to acknowledge that the way to remedy this sin, the sin of quote unquote racism is the same way you remedy and rectify and kill, as John Owen would say, mortify every other sin. It's through the gospel and the power of the gospel changing a person's heart, not by reparations.
0: Well, and, and that the, <laughs> the, where do the reparations then end? Can I, can I appeal for reparations for, for my people?
2: No, you can't. No, no.
0: <laughs> can can nope. the Can the Chinese who were slaves, oh. even when slavery was outlawed in this country out nope. in california nope. here 's the difference that I always notice <clears throat> and and I know that when I say this, people get upset because i 'm white saying this you know Jewish people came under persecution, Chinese people came under persecution, and you know what they did? They educated their children education and family became the most important things because they realized that if they have educated children, they can get good jobs, but they knew that everything had to be with the family. The thing that no one wants to talk about is the breakdown of the family. And that's where I think so much of this ends up residing.
2: Yeah, you're it's- absolutely right. Especially, you know, now this is this should be especially a concern. And I'm not saying it's not, but you're not seeing any evidence that it is a concern among uh, many Black Americans. I think it's really interesting, you know, not to turn this political, but I think it's really interesting that the, the vast majority, over 95% of Black voters, support the political party that's most responsible for destroying the Black family. Yes. And, but they 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 are myopic, almost robotic, in voting... Along this singularly political line that is totally, whose policies are totally, irrefutably, historically, responsible for destroying the black family. Yet they go out in the tens of millions, 95, 96 percent of black voters vote for this one party whose policies have, have been decimating. Black neighborhoods and black families for almost 60 years now. But you're not hearing anything about that. Nothing.
0: That's right. Be- because out, th- and this is, you know, I know that I'm going to say this, and people are going to get upset with me. Please understand that this is not an emotional thing for me, <laughs> but people get upset when they hear this. Look, the reality is there are black. African-American, however you want to refer to yourself, there are African-Americans who profit from racism. If you want a perfect example, you could look at like a Jackson Jackson and and look at things like that, but I'll give you the clearest. If you read Barack Obama's book, you'll see that he realized that if he could get white votes as a black man, then he could be in office forever. He never thought he'd get the president. He thought he'd be in the Senate for life. Yeah. because of his, the color of his skin and being able to speak as a white man. That's, that was what he said, yeah. recognizing it in someone else that was black and could get white votes. And here was someone that knew he could use hit the color of his skin to gain him power. You know what? Barack Obama was just as much white as he was black. In fact, I would argue he was more white because he was black skin, but he was raised in a white family. He had to be taught from his mother how to be black. Yeah. And and this brings up something that you said earlier. You, when you speak out like this, you're against your own people. They'll call you an Uncle Tom. Yeah. That shows that this has nothing to do with color of skin in my mind. This has to do with a belief system. You have to, you have to toe the line. And if you don't toe the line, you're against your own people or you're, you're an Uncle Tom.
2: Oh, yeah. I I mean, I get I get all kind of vitriol and I tell people all the time, uh, you know, the the most heat I take is from black people. I take a lot of heat from black. I don't. Listen, no white person has ever called me a coon. okay. no white person has ever called me a house Negro. No white person has ever called me Uncle Tom. But you know what? Black people have called me all those things, you know, to your earlier comment, Andrew, I'm reminded of a quote. Uh, from Booker T. Washington in his uh, autobiography from slavery, Washington says this, you know, and people like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and even uh, Barack Obama come to mind. Washington said this, he says, there's another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy, and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs.
0: So I yeah. need you to send me that quote.
2: I'll, I'll send you that quote. I'll send you that quote.
0: Because that, that right there nails the issue. I, look, I have said for a long time, people get upset with me, if, if you want to end slavery, or sorry, slavery, uh, if you want to end racism, you have to end all racism. You cannot allow reverse racism, look if I took this article that Mr. Adams wrote and I replace every word that's white with black and black with white, would he believe that it was racist?
2: absolutely
0: not well, I think he absolutely would if it, if it was that, that i'm saying that whites that, that blacks have a privilege yeah you're reversing it yeah if I rever- if I reverse those if I reverse yeah. all of the white with black, I black could. with white. I bet he would say that it's a problem and I'm being racist.
2: Sure. Sure he would. But see, listen, here's the fallacy of, why do you never hear anyone talking about, well, let's end adultery. Let's, let's end all adultery. Let's end all lying. Let's end all murder. You know, let's end. Why why is it that racism is, is a, uh, I don't want to say sin because people don't look at it as a sin, but that's what it is. But they don't look at it as that, as that. Why is it that people believe racism can, which is hatred, which is what the Bible would call hate. Why do they believe racism can be ended? Why is that? Well, the reason they believe that is because they think the genesis of racism is structural, that it's institutional, that, it's something that, that, there's, that there's something deficient legislatively something that can be fixed, you see, something that that can be fixed uh, externally. Uh, if If we just make things fair, then people will start to change the way they think or change the way they behave towards people of different ethnicities. If we can just fix these things that are around us in society, make everything fair and equal, then everyone will treat each other, treat one another right. You see yeah. but that that's always puzzled me. Why is racism the one
0: behavior that people think can be ended? Unbelievable. Well, it's, it, the, it can't, it will never end. The reality is it will never end. If we make excuses for reverse, it's not really reverse racism. It's still racism. People call it reverse racism as if racism can only be one direction. I've had plenty that, of people tell me I'm yeah, black. That, I can't be racist right that 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 you have you,
2: you that, dealt with that that is so stupid <laughs> i mean i 'm sorry that that 's just stupid to think that well, let uh, me ask you let me,
0: I know you had a hard stop and yeah. i don 't want to don't want to take up more time than than you have. do you have more time to continue if not
2: yeah i got I got a hard stop here, so okay.
0: so, so here 's the thing let me let me let you close out we're we're not going to close out the, the this podcast because we have another guest that just came in that 's going to want to continue this so. Um, so, Daryl, how could people get a hold of you, and and give us any any closing things that you have for us?
2: Yeah, so if they want to uh, get a hold of me, you can go out to my blog again. That's just thinking. That's one word, just thinking. You can click on the about page, and I have contact information out there. I'm on Facebook as well. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can look me up there. Um, but on my blog, on the about page, I have links to both my Facebook and my Twitter. If you want to connect with me out there. Uh, as well. And again, Andrew, I just want to thank you, man, for having me on. Uh, I don't want to necessarily close with anything uh, other than, listen, we've got, the the church has got to recapture a love for the fundamental gospel, which, as Paul said again, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And there are people who are going to hell while we're out here worrying about what's fair and what's not.
0: That's right. I mean, and and that that was really a summarization of your podcast that you guys did. Was it's about the gospel?
2: It's about the gospel, and and that's what uh, that's what Virgil and I try really hard to do every episode. You know, the podcast is a weekly podcast. Uh, If you want to hear it, you can go out to the Bar Podcast. That's t h e b a r podcast dot com slash j t. You can also search on Apple and Android for Just Thinking. Just go ahead and search for that podcast and you can subscribe to us. But every conversation we have uh, is centered on what the gospel says. We we literally, we open the Bible up on the podcast and we read what thus says the Lord. Because it's all about Christ. It's not about us.
0: Yeah, and I mean... You know, I do notice that your your website is very narcissistic. You want everyone to think it's about you. You know, just <laughs> thinking dot, dot me. You know, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought that I thought that extension was really really fitting because the the, the articles that I write, I'm just telling you what Daryl thinks about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, telling you what I think. So I'm yeah, like, let, me, let me go with the dot me. I think that's really cool.
0: It should have been, you know, just thinking at me or about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just thinking about or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to put all the links to the Bar Podcast, to your podcast. All those will be in the show notes so folks can quickly get to those. Darrell, I want to thank you. You've been, your podcast, Just Thinking, has been a breath of fresh air to me. I listened to it. Uh, I actually, when I first tuned in, I actually went back to episode one and binged so that I could catch up. Um, it's a, it is a refreshing podcast to, to listen to. And the, and the last one really was one where I was, I was jumping to hear you and Virgil talk because it was things that I know I would get crucified for saying.
2: <laughs> well, don't, don't think we don't, don't think we don't get crucified. Oh, I
0: know you do. it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on. I, I wish I wish we could have had more time, but uh, we could do this again sometime. We
2: can do it again, brother. I assure you, we can do it again. I, I
0: have a f- sad feeling to believe that this is not the last time we're going to see this issue rise up.
2: Yes, I, I, I am mourning with you on that. No, thank
0: <laughs> All right, before we bring the next guest on, I'm going to play a couple of commercials and then we'll have another guest. And so we thank Daryl for joining in. I do encourage you to go to Just Thinking and listen to that podcast. You will learn a lot.
3: The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics that's right the art and science of interpreting scripture the bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover jeremiah 29:11 should not be their life verse yeah. learn more go to strivingforeternity.org to host a bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area
1: Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity, and they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.
0: All right, so I said we had another guest, and as you heard earlier, I said that uh, I might do another podcast this week with my friend and brother Tom Buck, and he was able to join in since Daryl could not be here for, for longer than the one hour, and I said, hey, you want to just join in? We were trying to see if we would do something tomorrow, but uh, this topic is something that's quite important and wanted to get him in, so I figured why don't you just join in now, and so brother Tom is here with us, so how you doing, brother?
4: I'm doing fine. I assume you can hear me.
0: Unfortunately, I can. No. Um, <laughs> so you'll see that with a brother who I know well, I can joke around a lot more. Some of you will see my own personality come back, coming out a little bit more now. But Tom, for folks who don't know who you are, um, would you be able to introduce yourself and you know where you're a pastor, some about your background? And you've recently wrote two articles on this, and we're going to include those in the show notes, but talk about those as well.
4: Uh well, um, first of all, you've taken a huge dive of having me come on right after Daryl. I mean, that's uh that's not even fair for me, but that's okay. Um I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas, and um I have been senior pastor here for twelve years. I've been been a senior pastor for twenty-five years in two different churches. Um I am uh, just passionate about um, part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and passionate about seeing churches within the convention be reformed more. And they're not using "reformed" in the sense of of uh, theology, but reformed more to aligning itself with practicing uh, exactly what the Word of God says is the rule over the church. And and so I've been passionate about this for some time, and revitalizing churches. I revitalized one in in Florida, and am now here in a small rural town of of East Texas.
0: All right. And you and I got to to kind of, well, I guess we first met at G3 and then really got to to sit and get to know each other more at the Shepherds Conference. And I I, I know, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way right off the bat. You've been you, you. I mean, seriously, there are people who will reject everything you say because of one thing, one incident that had happened, and there are people who want to use that you, something you did in your church, where you had a memorial uh, service for the mil, for for a police dog, and people will always go after you for that, as if nothing else that you ever do could ever count for anything because of that one act. Um, do you think that's fair? Well, no,
4: it's quite unfortunate. I mean, especially since if anybody is uh, would listen to the sermon that I preached, uh, it was, uh, and people don't even understand ultimately what it was. It wasn't a memorial ultimately for the dog. Um, when a fallen officer, and in the state of Texas, a dog that dies in what they would say in the line of duty is an officer and receives the same type of memorial that uh, a human officer would receive and, in gratitude for the service of that animal. And so um, I had an opportunity to preach the gospel. I did that. And uh, anybody who listens to it, in fact, everyone who has listened to it has said that it was handled well and, um, and, and the gospel was clear. So, you know, I, I hate to be famous for something of that nature, but I guess there's worse things to be famous for.
0: Yeah. You could, you could be famous for being like me and just being a heretic and <laughs> in, in everything you believe, but Hey, that's all right. So, so let's, you know, let's continue on. You, you've written some articles. So, uh, in, and this is an issue that you, you know, are passionate about, um, because of, of the same issue that Daryl and I were talking about. You, you came in and heard the tail end. Um, mm-hmm. you didn't get to hear the beginning part, um, because we weren't live streaming this, but, sure. um, you know so so let's let's first I'm, I want to talk about the articles that you have have written and um and then what if you could do is I'm going to keep going through this article cuz I really want to get to his nine points and address them okay um, so so you you got an article out
4: well let me clarify that I don't have an article at this point I'm I'm oh you're working writing on writing an article but I have written uh uh privately concerning this on some issues regarding this so i and I have an article that will be coming out in a few days on it so uh, to clarify that but i I am concerned deeply about uh any time that god 's word is mishandled, and I believe that uh you know at t four g with uh the handling of the famous five is a perfect example of that if i think was Ice of Jesus, on the part of uh, David Platt, with that. But in this article, I am extremely concerned with how the Word of God was handled. Um, I certainly have issues with many of the uh, uh, applications that are being made, and uh, regarding what would be called racial res- reconciliation, um, racial uh, societal injustice, whatever it may be. But I'm particularly concerned in this article about how the word of God is being used.
0: Yeah. And this is, it, um, this is the thing we were, we were talking about with Daryl. So I'm just going to keep going with just giving some of the quotes from this and, and you and I could go through this because he ends up giving uh, nine ways of kind of fixing the problem type of thing. Right. Um, but, you know, he ends up in this article he ends up saying um, that, you know, he's, it's like, who, who to blame for this? Right. And he's, he's blaming whites. He's blaming America, saying that that Americans, white Americans, forced blacks to think about color, that we forced this upon them. And now, now they have to think about it. And we tell them just to forget it. Um, and, and he ends up saying, the blame often sounds like, quote, you always talk about race, unquote, or, quote, Jesus is more important. Can't you just get over it, unquote. This reflects how many American Christians largely have two speeds when dealing with the issue. Something is either completely important or it's completely unimportant. Color, color used to mean everything, but now folks want it to mean nothing. And and this is the thing I say that's just like what Paul did. Paul said, you know what? I have all this pedigree and it means nothing. In fact, his word was it me it's dung. That's what Paul said about his background. He didn't boast about his background unless he unless he was being challenged to say, "Hey, hey, you know, who do you think you are?" And he could say, "Well, you know, my pedigree is better than yours." But he didn't hold to his pedigree, but more importantly, what the difference with Paul is that Paul did not demand others to accept his pedigree. That's the main difference that I see in this article. This is not. This is not Mr. Adams saying, "Hey, I'm going to give up my background, my ethnicity for the gospel." No, he's telling me as a white person, and and you, Buck Tom Buck, as a as a white person, how you should respond to him. There's a big difference there.
4: Yeah, and. and I- Listen, I don't know. I honestly don't know of anyone who is saying uh, you always talk about race. Can't you just get over it? I honestly don't know anybody saying that. Uh, where I, what I would say is, is I, I don't even have a problem with having the discussion about these particular issues. Um, I, I, I want to listen, and I have several um, men that I'm talking to and listening to regarding their concerns about race and things of that nature, race relations in our country. But there is a very one-sided conversation, and that's what is even taking place in this article. Um, and it's being framed, and this is how you should think about it. This is exactly what you should be doing. And I am extri- I'm troubled by that. But I'm even more troubled by the points that he immediately gets into, such as calling out ethos, uh, eth- ethnocentric sin and using Galatians two eleven to fourteen to support uh, that pro- that proclamation or suggestion or whatever you may want to call it.
0: Yeah, and, and we're going to get there. But here's the thing: What you just said this is the real, this is the, the heart of the issue. Okay, he's not only telling us he's telling us what to think and how to behave. He's not he's not doing what Paul's doing this is the thing that I guess upsets me with this article and and with articles like this is there, he's approaching me as a white person because he's saying he's a black man Mm -hmm. speaking to white pastors. So that's you and I, and he's telling us what the solution is. He's telling us what we have to think. This is how you have to think. You have to think the way I want you to think that's intolerance.
4: Well, do you think that he would say, though, um, I'm, I gave you nine suggestions, so I'm not telling you how to think. I'm just simply giving you suggestions of how I think you ought to approach this.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. He has a, a presupposition that is in this throughout that you have to accept that somehow me as a white person, I've I'm responsible for this. And you know, I know you didn't hear the beginning part, but I pointed out that as a Jewish person, I, I could say the same thing to all Gentiles. I mean, it was my people that were being killed in, in Germany and, you know, people in America weren't doing anything. Mm. We, they're just sitting and, and living their life. They weren't, they weren't doing anything. Are they responsible? Do they owe Jewish people around the world? Do they owe us money? For For not stepping in and, and causing the government to do something to to react to this
4: well, I certainly would say I think we certainly could say that there are a good amount of Jews that died in the Holocaust during our period of complacency that could have potentially been saved sooner, so if we had engaged sooner, so there's no doubt that uh um you, you could make a similar argument
0: along those lines and and if you want to make the argument of money for repara- you know reparations and stuff like this, look Jewish people lost their homes they lost their their inheritances families that had homes for generations just gone because the romans just came the, 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 the germans just came in and said it's ours done over so yeah. so so let's i mean let let's go through some of these um the, some of these issues he brings up he hes he says this Cause I want to get to those nine points before we get there. He okay. says, you know, I've written this brothers to ask you to reckon with the fact that you are white and to consider how that factors in to how you see the world, how you think others see the world and how you treat others, including people under your care. And I just see this. There are so many assumptions in here. Yeah it's like if whites can't understand the black experience and we always hear that, that as a white person, I can't talk to black issues, but yet he's talking to white issues. He's, he's, he's implying how whites are going to view things.
4: But it's true of everybody, not just by, by the race, but I'm from Tennessee and I'm from East Tennessee. I'm a hillbilly from up in that area. And there's a certain way that they view the world. I mean, that's, and that's just true of all people, no matter what their race, and it's not a limited race.
0: Yeah. You know, and he, he says this, he says, but there can be no reconciliation without a reckoning. Right. You know, but the author does not, you know, Mr. Adams does not want to reckon the white experience. He only wants to assign the blame. And, you know... This is the thing that I see with a lot of this. It it almost as if people don't want equal rights because he's going to end up saying he wants a place at the table, right? You know, that's not the case. It's not that there's a, a, want a place at the table. It's not equal rights. It's extra rights. You know, this is how I end up seeing this over and over. It's people that they, they, you know, they don't want to see it from both sides. I know this is an emotional issue for many and many are getting really angry at me being a white person saying this and, and they're thinking to themselves that this is the problem when white people think they understand the black experience. But, you know, I, I, and I meant to ask Daryl this, but I didn't know what the answer would have been, but you know, Daryl grew up very different than me in, in a, in a, you know, as he described in the, in the black uh, inner city. And you know what? he couldn't f- at all understand the experience I had as a, a Jewish kid growing up being attacked for my Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. He couldn't understand that at all. I mean, he could understand it to a certain level, and that same level that he can understand my Jewish upbringing by me explaining my experience is the same way that I can understand a black person's upbringing experience.
4: Well, and as Christians, the gospel is what is primary that brings us all together at the foot of the cross on level ground. And there's a reason why that when we come to Christ, that these things, our worldly identities, are become secondary to our primary identity in Christ. And I don't see why that that is diminished uh, in these in these arguments when it ought to be first and foremost in our conversation, because Scripture makes it so.
0: And, and the Scripture that we read earlier is Ephesians 2. I mean, Ephesians 2, 11 and following, and specifically in in verse 16, he's talking about the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, and what's the solution? The gospel. It is by the cross of Jesus Christ that Jews and Gentiles will become one body and thereby killing the hostility how do we kill the hostility in the the church in america today through true reconciliation we come to the cross and we we don't ask others to to have to accept us i don't i don't go to church and and demand of people to accept the fact that you know the way i grew up there were hardships. The way that I grew up, I had to struggle with things that maybe, as, as someone that would be raised in a Christian or Catholic uh, family, uh, in in a in a predominantly uh, Catholic type of area, you know, they didn't have the problems that I had. They were the ones that were going after me. So how do you you know how are you going to reconcile that? You reconcile it by becoming a Christian. I'm I don't call myself a Jewish Christian. A completed jew a messianic i'm a christian period and yes my background i bring that into my life in every area just like every other individual person does absolutely
4: let's look at ephesians 2 since you brought that up what is the what is the wall of hostility of which he speaks here because this passage ephesians 2 11 and following uh was used at um um, I think it was, I, I believe it was uh, MLK 50. It may be in another place that it was used, but it was specifically used to say that this is about uh, ethnic relations and that we could actually, I, I think it actually was used. I'll take that back at, a G, at the G3 conference. And it was used to say that this is about ethnic relations between, that we can apply now between blacks and whites and races within the church. But the wall of hostility, if you look at the text, is talking about the law and the, and the regulations and the commands that divided Jew and Gentile. This was not about some type of ethnic issues between the two regarding Jews' hatred for Gentiles in some kind of a racist way. What Paul's addressing there, and I'm not saying those things didn't exist, I'm saying what Paul addresses here in the context is that Jesus came, listen to verse 14, he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in the flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. What divided Jew and Gentile theologically in that passage was the law that made it impossible for Jew and Gentile to come together. And so that's what Paul is dealing with there. He's not talking about generalized racist attitudes between Jews and Gentiles.
0: No, he's, he's talking about adding to the gospel, adding circumcision and things like this to the gospel, adding the law to corrupting the message of the gospel. And, and oh. where, where, this, where I, you know I think Ephesians 2 does come into play with all this talk that we end up seeing with the social justice movement, because I believe that at its core, they they are corrupting the gospel they're they're starting to say that the gospel is is about how we treat people, not what we do with Christ or more specifically what Christ does with us
4: Well, I completely agree with you that Ephesians two comes into play my my uh, clarification I'm making is where it doesn't come into play is saying that what ephesians two eleven and following is doing there is talking about generalized Racial conflict between Jew and Gentile. What's a, what's a being addressed there in Ephesians two is that Jesus, the wall of hostility that was torn down, was the law that separated Jew from Gentile that didn't even allow them to eat together. That's even fits into what Galatians two is dealing with. That Isaac Adams tries to say that Ephesians two eleven to fourteen is dealing with ethnocentric sin. It's yeah. not dealing that.
0: No. You know, and, and, you know, let me, let me address one more thing and then let's get to his nine points, because here's the thing. Earlier I mentioned that, that I believe that Mr. Adams has a presupposition that you can see throughout this article, but if you want me to show it to you, he ends up saying white pastor, this is the paragraph white pastor. I fear you might think that submitting your whiteness to Christ ought to result in deeper racial apathy you do uh, you don't think this is due to your conscious deep deeply rooted racist spirit instead the thought comes from ignorance not knowing what you do not know I mean he it's the assumption that being a white pastor you have if you don't if, if basically I think if you don't agree with him you you're deeply rooted white you know or a deeply rooted racist spirit in you and you just so don't the,
4: realize
0: it. Yeah, the way I read it, let me
4: read this. Maybe I'm misreading it, but he doesn't think say you don't think this due to uh, this. He he's saying you don't think this because you're some kind of consciously deep, really rooted race in person. I think I
0: think you're that's just you're is. just ignorant. Yes, but but I think it it uh, the underlying thing is it's one of two things. You're either you 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 have a deep rooted racism that you can't recognize.
4: Or you're ignorant. Or you're ignorant. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that.
0: Okay. So so either way, the assumption is he's right.
4: You're right. You're it, absolutely right. We it, we either we either are, are racist, which he says he doesn't believe we are, or we just don't know what we don't
0: know. Correct. So so either way you have to accept accept that his position is the only right position by the setup that he's done. And and he's saying this just before he gets to his nine points.
4: You're, you're absolutely right. That's the presupposition because he later tells us to read White Awake. Yes. And White Awake is completely from that, that we are all subconsciously racist and don't know it. And, uh, and, and that's, that is the presupposition from which he's coming based on the very books that he suggests we should read.
0: And so his, here's his nine points, his first point of the nine, calling out ethnocentric sin. And he, he, this is where, as you said, he references Galatians 2, 11 to 14. So right. he, he says we should call out ethnocentric sin. Now, the thing is, how do we define that sin? Because, because race does not change the definition of salvation. Circumcision was adding to it because he's going to argue from Galatians about Paul and Peter, but the issue there was about the the issue of the Gentiles and the Jews and whether he was going to to be, you know, basically kowtowing to the to the Jewish people with the issue of circumcision and or and separating because a Jewish person could not eat with a Gentile. That's part of the law. Exactly. And That's, he, exactly. He
4: That's why two ties in there.
0: Yeah. He's, he's separating because of the fact that it's like, hey, uh, Jewish law, you know, I got to follow the, the, the Jewish law. I can't eat with these people.
4: Right. He's not choosing to not eat with them because he doesn't want to be seen at McDonald's with them. He's not eating with them because he he is following the law. And if he's going to follow the ceremonial law, he has to separate from them. Correct. And, and he was fearful, the text says, of the circumcision party because they were demanding that they lived. Not distinctively Jewish, per se,
0: but distinctively connected to the law. Even if they became a Christian. Yes. They had to be circumcised. They had to follow the rules of the law. It was all about law versus grace. It has
4: nothing to do with ethnocentric issues. And if it did, then why doesn't Paul call Peter out to confess his ethnocentric sin?
0: Well he and, he, do that. and here would be the thing. If I am if number one is that I am to call out ethnocentric sin, then I'm I, I see no other option than for me to say, Mr. Adams, I am calling out your ethnocentric sin. You are making a division based on ethnicity, and you're saying that we have to accept that. That is the sin that you say we have. But you're just as guilty. So if the first step is calling out ethnocentric sin, Mr. Adams, I'm calling you out.
4: Well, but I would encourage you, Andrew, and I think for all of us here, to even stick just to the, not to accept that premise, because the text does not say that. Exactly. The text, there is nothing in the text that other than I said, Jesus, where you put your framework upon the text. You cannot extract from that text what he's saying. And if I can't extract it from the text, I have no right to bind your conscience to
0: anything that Scripture doesn't bind your conscience to. Because this was about the gospel. The message of salvation was being altered. That's the thing that people have to realize in Galatians 2. This was about the message of the gospel having something added to it. Jewish law fundamentally changing the message of the gospel
4: absolutely, that's what the text is dealing with. And to and ask the question, are you relegating members in your church to second-class status because they don't meet a certain cultural expression? That is not what this text is about. And to say that it is, is an, a gross abuse of that text.
0: It, it's, look, it's a, it's a very bad handling of the text. It is it, it's taking it out of its context and trying to give it a new meaning just because the issue of Jew and Gentile ignoring the context in which they're used. And and that is why I would say if you're going to use that text to try to argue that, not only are you twisting the scriptures, but you're you're you are being me making yourself guilty of the very thing you want to call people out on. I mean, he the way he wants, if you hold him by his own standard. The way he wants to hold this up, he's guilty of his own standard. But, he, but he's calling us white people to have to be called out. And, and yet, doesn't this work both ways? Shouldn't then we also be calling out people that are causing division and separation in the church over ethnic issues? One would think so. Yeah. And, and so his, his second point, confessing ethnocentric sin. And, and I think the author should do that. I think it would be good for him.
4: Well, I see your point, but again, let's go back to the text. Why doesn't Peter call upon, or Paul call upon Peter to confess his ethnocentric sin? That's not what he does. What he calls upon Peter to do is to acknowledge his hypocrisy in that he lives under the law when it suits him, or excuse me, he chooses to not live under the law when it suits him. And then he goes back to the law when it suits him to look good in the eyes of the circumcision party. Yeah. So that's what he's telling him to confess is his, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's to confess his hypocrisy regarding, um, uh the the issue of obeying the law. That's what he's telling him to confess. He does not tell him to confess centric sin.
0: Yeah. And and you know this this goes both ways. It goes with, you know, African Americans that have racism. That, that that has to be confessed as well. This is I mean I am against all racism. Not just one directional. I'm not just against whites that are racist toward blacks. Or, or Jews that are racist toward, toward Gentiles. All of it, all of it, is a sin. And the only way we are going to end racism is by ending all racism.
4: Well, let me go back and say one thing about, or let me say one thing to that. I think we need to start using biblical categories. And I talked this to this with about this with Daryl a few days ago. Uh, and I believe that. Um, Uh, we need to be using the category of enmity and hate rather than using the category of racism. For one thing, when we accept the world's terms, like racism, we're pulling all the political garbage in that comes with it as well. So if you hate someone because of their ethnicity, then that is sinful, and Christ provided atonement for that. Let me give you an example. When I have somebody come in my office as a pastor, and they say, Pastor, i and and I hate obviously, God forbid this happens, but it does in most pastors' ministry, and they'll say, I had an affair with someone. I immediately address that issue and say we're not going to use that terminology we're going to use biblical terminology. you committed adultery. That's right. Christ provided atonement for adultery, he didn't provide atonement for an affair, and we need to be specific about what the sin is. I think the same thing is true here. We get muddied down in a lot of the waters here because we use categories of the world rather than talking about the biblical categories and then applying the biblical answer to those things, which is the atonement of
0: Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. So, okay. So let's look at number three. Fellowshipping widely and letting your people see it and so here's the thing I thought about this, right? He he he's saying the fellowshipping wide, widely and letting your people see it. So pastors are to to be basically on a show, to be pre- doing a show rather than being real. I mean, isn't it that we we say that everyone wants to be, you know, real? They want everything to be, you know, to to, to be uh, authentic. And, and here, what they're what he's trying to argue is, no, you you got to put it, you got to show it. You have to you have to openly be trying to have a diverse elder board because he ends up asking about that brothers do you have a diverse elder board who leads your service on sunday who participates in front is it only people who look a certain way you know and and that's the thing The, the thing i see here is should we be forcing people to be in a position just because of the color of their skin or should we let god grow his church his way
4: I mean, absolutely. absolutely. What does scripture say that God was adding to the church? They're not even applying their own theology that they claim that they believe. Christ builds the church. We don't build the church. And where do you see anywhere in scripture that we need to have diversity? Why didn't Paul tell Timothy that in First and 2 Timothy and Titus? Uh, he did not say diversity. He said, we look for the quality of the man, not the color of his skin.
0: Well, and, and if you're going to say that we have to have a diverse board of elders, what I think you end up doing is when you're looking to do that, you're going to be looking to put someone on who's not qualified. Instead of saying, let's make sure they're qualified for that position, you're going to be likely to put unqualified men on the board just to be diverse. Or you're going to be looking to go into an area to try to get we got to make sure we have enough people of diversity to come in here instead of just opening the doors to anyone who God brings in and saying, you know what, we're not going to look at the color of skin. If you start saying that we have to be diverse, well, now people have to start saying, okay, we got to make sure we get certain, you know, certain people of color or certain things, you know, in. Okay. So, so I'm, I, I work with a, a very large software company and they're, they're going to have a conference with all of the software engineers in, in a company of 300,000 people. Okay? I helped to organize this conference. You know, one of the things they do when they look for speakers, they, they specifically say, well, we, we don't have enough women speaking. Can, can, we, can we maybe take some of the, 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 the uh, talks and we want to try to make sure there's enough women. What are they doing? That's what's being done here. Now, in a business sense, fine, that's their choice. Because they're saying, we, this is what we want to represent. So they could go and do that. And it's not an issue of qualifications. They're saying, hey, here's a talk that didn't get voted as well as others, but we're going to bump it up because we want to have a certain diversity. That's a choice they make, but we can't make that choice with the church. God has given us standards of qualification for who should be on the elder board, who should be a pastor, who should be a deacon. That's given by God. And we shouldn't be saying, okay, but let's, we got to make sure we have enough people of this background or that background. Because I think once you do that, you are going to, human nature, you're going to, once you put that as one of the standards, you're going to start lowering the standard to make sure you have people come in that fit you, that.
4: You're absolutely right. What, and in two thoughts, one is what about pastors who pastor in communities where the, the community isn't diverse? And we wouldn't apply. I mean, these standards, they apply only work in America. I mean, would we go over to another country? Would I go to Africa, which I have gone and ministered to churches there and tell them, wait a minute, there's too many black people here. Why don't you be more diverse? I mean, diversity is not an issue of scripture. That'd be one thing. Secondly, I would say that if, if a church is ignoring godly men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy, and they are ignoring them because of their race, then that is utterly sinful, and we would decry that if that's what's taking place. Uh, if we were refusing men of, of other than white men in a church to uh, become an elder in the church, that would be grossly sinful. But to say that what needs to happen is the pursuit of diversity, you cannot find it anywhere in Scripture, which is why he doesn't have one verse to back it up.
0: Well, and and the thing is, is that this may work very well in Washington D.C., but it's not going to work in it's not going to work in Idaho. You know, (laughs) Idaho. You you travel through Idaho, and you're not going to see very many African Americans. What are you going to do? You're going to say to a church, "You must have." a certain number of, of African-Americans on the, on the pastoral board, but there, there aren't any in the community. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to say that a church like that is somehow in sin? And, and, but the thing that gets me with this is, here's the thing. Is this not, that, remember, this is the point of this is, number three, fellowshipping widely and letting people see it. Is this not exactly what James condemns? That's a good point. That's an excellent is, point. Is this not James saying, "Hey, you have someone rich come in. Don't give them the good seat and say to the person that that's smelly and hasn't showered in a long time. Don't putting them to the back." So so let's change that. So you have someone black come in. Suddenly you're going to show off that you're you're going to be with them so that everybody can see how good and diverse you are. Is that not condemned by James? I think it is.
4: Yes, now we go one step further with what you're saying with James. Paul, uh, the answer that James gave there was not therefore give the poor person the prominent seat in order to reverse yes. the, the situation. It, the answer is not reverse the discrimination uh, in order to show that you really care for poor people. The point is is that you should look. Uh, here we go. Have blinders on regarding that issue. And that you don't treat people uh, either well or poorly based upon their status. So I don't get this whole thing that we shouldn't be blind when it comes to how we treat people, even according to race. There was one other thing that he says here. If you're only quoting white people, what's that teaching your people? I have preached for 25 years, and I've never identified the race
0: of somebody I'm quoting. I was thinking the exact same thing. I don't think anyone ever knows... The, the color of the skin of the person that I'm quoting, in fact, I don't even know some of the commentators what color of skin they are. Yeah, I would be concerned if a pastor
4: said, I'm, uh, to quote so-and-so, the great African-American whatever, or so-and-so, the great white. And by the way, I would contend to say that if the pastor said African-American so-and-so, everybody'd be okay with it. But if they said the great white preacher X, they'd have a problem with it. This is not right.
0: You know, I'm going to date myself, but I remember that there was a commercial when I was a kid growing up on TV when you only had like three channels anyway. And every Saturday morning, we, I'd see the, the same kind of commercials. You know, you had the Schoolhouse Rocks and those things. And you had one commercial with a, a guy with his, I think it was his grandfather, they're fishing a kid, I'm sorry, a kid fishing with his grandfather. And mm-hmm. he's asking what prejudice means. He says, his friend said he was prejudiced. Why, well, why did he, you know, well, how did you refer to your friend? Well, I said he's my Jewish friend and they're trying to say that by identifying him as being jewish that was prejudiced. This is the thing and this is the thing I've been saying throughout and what you said with James is exactly it. James doesn't tell us to reverse that we have to reverse this to make up for it. He says just don't pay attention to it. You treat everyone equally. That's what the church should do.
4: Absolutely. Well, let's cover those last few and yeah. those are doozies.
0: Yeah. So He 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 says, if you look at Acts six, right. you can see the ethnic conflict that we can learn from the apostles, and and so here's his number four in his list is they heard the voice of ethnic minorities. Number five, I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with these these three together. Okay. Um, they they then gave voice to the ethnic minorities and number six, they thought of the solution. Okay, so let's let's deal with those three. They heard the voice of the minorities. They gave a vo- a voice to the minorities, and then they they thought of a solution. What are your thoughts? Because I'm going to. I, I think so- okay, can I can I okay.
4: okay. Let me just put it in. Okay, let me be careful. <laughs>
0: So that's it why I'm is, letting you go first because I know what I have in my okay. is going to get me in trouble. It is
4: very, very, very sophomoric treatment of the text. And it is not exegesis. So let me let's just say okay, first, let's take the statement they didn't deny the complaint that was brought to them or ask for them to prove it. Uh okay, you talk we we don't have any idea of whether that's true or not. Maybe they did come and say, "Is this really true? That this is going on?" We don't know. The narrative doesn't tell us. It's not. He is reading into the narrative something, and he's he's saying because this isn't there, I can make a point out of it. We don't know. It's no different than people that take Old Testament narratives and read into what they want to in the story. This is that is one hundred and one of how to how to poorly preach or teach. A narrative passage, poor exegesis, an F on number four. Number five, they gave a voice to the ethnic minorities. Now I don't uh, listen to the text. They didn't, you know. They certainly were concerned. Let's not let's not diminish the fact that the apostles were dealing with this issue that was a problem. We don't know why the they the uh, the uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked. We don't know that the reason it was was because that the Hebraic Jews hated them or were practicing racism. We don't know the reason, but here's what we do know. The 12, verse 2, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, we need to give a voice to the ethnic minorities who are being mistreated. Is that what the text says? No. No. The text says it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now... (laughs) If anything they gave a voice to was anything in the church that distracts from the studying and the preaching of the word of God. Yes. That's what the text is about. When it ends, it doesn't say, let's go down to verse 7 and let's say, so the voice to the ethnic minorities prevailed and ethnic harmony came to the church and therefore people got saved. That's not what it says. It says, so the word of God spread. Well, how did the word of God spread? Because the danger was the word of God getting derailed by this conflict within the church. So this passage is not about giving a voice to ethnic minorities. It's about giving the word of God a voice of rule and authority over the church. It is turning the text upside down. It, it, number five is an F in hermeneutics and exegetical work. Then number six, they thought of a solution. They most certainly did think of a solution. There's no doubt of that. It's uh, that they wanted to fix it. But what were they wanting to fix? Asking, how can I fix? And he says, this can show a mindset that thinks racial reconciliation is an event instead of a lifestyle. They didn't think, how can we fix ethnic uh, racial uh, racial issues. There, The very text says what they were trying to fix was how they could continue to study and preach the word rather than wait on tables. Now, it seems to me not that they're diminishing the care of the widows, but they're magnifying the importance of the word of God. Exactly. And that's what's going on in the text. If this were today, we would need to stop everything that's going on in the church and do a three-day seminar with roundtables talking about how everybody felt regarding the ethnic (laughs) uh, racial relations. And the the word of God wouldn't spread because the solution would not be let's fix it and so the word of God can be central. It would be, let's discuss it until we all are at each other's throats over race. I mean, that would be today's modern thing.
0: Yeah, and you know, number five, he ends up saying here, the the apostles gave minorities a seat at the table, authority to make decisions and answer divisions. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. I mean, they, what they did was they created deacons, the, this idea, and we you brought it up. We don't know why the Hellenists widows were not being cared for could it be could it be that the the hebrewic widows were known by the people because they lived there and as the the hellenists came in and got saved and remained there their needs weren't known there's nothing in the text that says that that can't be the possibility that's exactly right we don't know. And to say that somehow by 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 giving, by having the deacons, by, by the pastor saying, let us get some people to take care of these day-to-day things so we could be about the business of the Word of God, studying and praying, that somehow that's giving them a voice. And he ends up saying, you know, to, to go and why not, you know, listen to to the, you know, to, to this, um, I, I can't pronounce the, the name, you know, the talk by T- Tadabadi from, you know, the the to Tabiti yes I, see I can't remember. but he's like go listen to him have your 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 staff listen to him and discuss it well you know Mr Adams how about you get your your staff to listen to the Just Thinking podcast that was put out by by Daryl and Virgil listen to that and discuss that how about that are you asking for to hear that side and those are from people of African American descent you it's, know
4: you're absolutely right. And at the end of the day, they're reading into the text what they want to see. Now they may say, "Tom, you're reading into text what you want to see." No, I'm not, because I'm not reading anything into the text. I'm reading out of the text. And the text. Now, the point that he makes is that the deacons chosen were primarily Greeks, and that that's how they gave them a seat at the table by making the Greeks most most of the deacons Greeks. But you know, one of the things we know from church history is that Jewish individuals, many of them even had a Greek name that they went by as well as a Jewish name.
0: Andrew is a Greek name. He yes. was one of the Jewish disciples. So we Philip do, is another.
4: So we do not know that because all of these people had Greek names that they were Hellenistic. We don't know that. They could have been Jews and most likely were if we know the early church when it was, when it was founded so um i, I mean it, it's just absurd to make these quick flyby statements and say this is this is how it was uh, well, one other thing about this uh, and because i think they would look and say some of them would look and say come on now you know with the tension between jews and gentiles you can't tell me that it wasn't an issue of race between these two and uh, the problem with that kind of a statement is the same thing that we're having with this situation up at Starbucks. The guy who was arrested, who was an African American came out and stated that the cops did not treat him the way they did because of it. It wasn't racist. He said that, but yet everybody's saying, no, it had to be racist. They, 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 they are denying them and treating them the way they did because they're black. We read into these circumstances with the lens that we're wearing, and they're doing the same thing in Acts chapter 6, and that is one, uh, uh, class 101 in hermeneutics that you do not do that with God's word.
0: Yeah, and, and this is, you know this is the thing. You know, he ends up saying in in point number six that they fixed it. And yeah, they fixed it. They didn't tell others what to think. They did something about it. They changed. They didn't ask others to change. That is an essential difference that I see throughout this entire article, that Mr. Adams is asking me to change how I think based on his presuppositions. And yet, if I do that to him, he would say that's the problem. He would say either I'm ignorant or I'm racist. Those are the only true choices he allows. And yet I'm not racist and I'm not ignorant. I think that this, is, this division is the very thing that, that was used in Nazi Germany to cause division to silence a group of people so that you could take advantage of them and eventually kill them.
4: Yes, and he would, I think he, if you take the words of his article, he's telling you how to view the world. He's saying, "You, this is the way you view the world. Put off your whiteness the way you view the world. This is how you view the world. I, I want to hear, I do want to hear how my African-American brothers and sisters in Christ view the world. For one thing, they don't all view the world the same. Daryl Harrison doesn't view the world the same way Isaac Adams views the world, and they're both black. But there is nobody that has a corner market on the view of the world. That is why God's Word is the only lens by which we are to view the world. If I view the world and especially view Scripture through my lens, we are going to have all kinds of conflict. But when I begin to view my brothers and sisters in Christ, not through the lens of my worldview, whether white or black or whatever, but through the worldview of Scripture, then we have a common ground by which, upon which we can build and work. But that's not what they want us to do. They want us to read Acts 6 from the worldview of, of this particular black individual's worldview. And that's where the conflict is coming, instead of saying we're going to start with Scripture and that's going to be the way I view my world.
0: Yes. So let's, let's, we've got three more. Let's see if we can do this, because now he's going to leave Acts 6. Number seven is, leaving Acts 6, I want to highlight that Paul didn't scorn his Jewish culture or forget it, but he did know it. And this is, you know, my notes here, my comment here is, and he also never asked others to remember it, ever. Ever. He didn't. I mean, the only time that he brought up his background is when others were questioning his his status as an apostle or his status as a Jew. Then he brought it up just to say, "No, this is who I am." But he never said to people, "You have to. You have to accept this about me. You have to. You have to know this. You have to think this way." Paul's. You don't see Paul defining things the way that this article is, because this he ends up saying, "Brothers." Our congregation need to be taught on these matters. Did Paul even understand race the same way we do? The answer is no. No. He didn't see race that way. His issue was not over race, it was over the definition of salvation. I agree we added hardly. to the gospel.:
4: I agree wholeheartedly. I have nothing to add to that. I would like to say one other thing before back, to, if you don't mind, okay, back yeah. to Act six. He said earlier that we should confess ethnocentric sin. If that is so predominantly true in Scripture, and this passage, if we take his interpretation, is about ethnocentric sin, why in Galatians two nor in Acts six do they command, do not command them to confess their ethnocentric sin? In addition, if you notice in Acts six, the apostles don't say that there was any sin at all involved in this. Mm. He does. There's no. Did the apostles ever? Shy away from confronting when there was sin and calling upon people to repent. So, apparently, in Acts 6, we have this huge sin that was the first sin that could destroy the church, that was going to divide the church and destroy the harmony. And the apostles never even address any sin at all. Yeah. Don't you? I mean, I think that's stunning, don't you? Yeah. I um, <laughs> Number eight, I guess.
0: Yeah, because I want to see if we could. We this is this is a mega. We our weeklies are usually one hour, and we're going on two. So, <laughs> okay. So number number eight, going off that suggestion. Read with your elders. So, what does he suggest we should read? Read both sides of the issue. What do you right. think?
4: No one side. Yeah, and by that, as somebody that's not even a
0: believer. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, I didn't know that he wasn't a believer. I, I'm not I've
4: thinking. read the book. I, I, well, I don't think he is, based on what I read. Maybe he claims to believe, but I've read the book, and it's uh, 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 well, I'm in the middle of it. And so, the sociology uh, sociology is good in the book. The
0: theology is horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, the issue there, I say, is why don't you read both sides? I mean. <laughs> You know like like I said earlier, why don't you go listen to to podcasts like just thinking you know and and get the other side of it too get you know but here's the thing you know that I mentioned earlier you know for a guy like daryl if if he takes the position he has, they'll call him a, an uncle Tom, he's not allowed to think that way because it's it's not the right way to think, and that's the presupposition that you have to think the last uh, that way lastly, he says number nine, pray about this you know. I, I have been praying about this and, and I pray that people that hold to this view that somehow I have to be held to their standard, what, whatever it is, when they set a standard and tell me that I have to hold to that standard, I pray that they would repent. That's called legalism.
4: Yes, I agree. I would add to that that we need to, what need what is it that should guide our prayers? what should direct our prayers? The truths of Scripture. That's right. If I am getting Galatians 2 and Acts 6 wrong, then my prayers, no matter how much I pray, are going to be misguided and are going to be untruthful. And I'm fearful that there are going to be a lot of pastors who are going to read this article, and they're going to both interpret and preach Galatians 2 and Acts 6 in this way. This is a serious, serious issue that goes far beyond Our simple discussion of what we believe about reparations or whatever uh, that can be talked about from you know in our culture regarding our politics, we are to be men of God and in the church who hold up the Word of God and do so to study it and to divide it rightly as men who are unashamed. I say this with with great uh, um, careful thought. When I say this the handling of the Word of God in this particular article, that the author should be ashamed of how he handled
0: And I have no ill will to Mr. Adams. I don't know him. Uh, my comments, uh, even though directed toward him, are based on what he has written. Correct. Me too. I, I know that people are emotional in this. You know, I've pointed out logical fallacies where he contradicts himself within the same paragraph. Uh, I'm, I'm pointing out another side of this, one that in this article if you read it is missing it, you know i could take the same article and make the same case that he should be viewing things through my judaism because he is a gentile this has this never ends so you know we're gonna we're gonna end up closing out i i hope that folks maybe this is the first time you've listened to the rap report i encourage you to subscribe we have a daily two-minute podcast that comes out five days a week usually this would we try to drop this one on saturdays because of this article because of the topic we're going to drop it in midweek but we usually will give you six episodes we give you a one hour typically around one hour podcast on the weekend but we have a daily two-minute podcast you can subscribe to the rap report We try to give you biblical interpretations, applications to all things in Bible and culture. And we try to help you uh, through, you know, this past week we've been discussing the definition, or this week we are discussing, I should say, the definition of a cult. So we give you five points in two minutes. That's ten minutes for the whole week. And we'll give you an, an understanding of how to identify a cult between a Christian religion. So, encourage you to do that. You can go to Striving Fraternity to find out more about the ministry that I work for, uh, and you can find me there. Tom, how could people find you?
4: Well, the main way they could find me is on our website of fbclindale.com, and the only thing I really have up there is my sermons. And uh, preaching the Word of God is what's central to my life. And, and uh, so, if they want to know me better, the best way to know me better is to hear me preach the Word of God.
0: All right, and, and they can hear a, a, a you know a a message about we're talking about a dog and transitioning to the gospel.
4: Well, I actually don't. That is that isn't even on there. So I mean, out of the oh, so uh, we can't even hear that. Out of twelve years of sermons, that you don't even get the privilege of that. But if they'd like it, they can email me from there, and I'll be glad to send them a copy of that sermon too.
0: Hey, you know, one of the things, the reason people came to ask me about that is because, and we don't have time to do this, but every episode we usually do is a game called the Spiritual Transition Game, where I would have my guest, if we have a guest on, to give me something to transition to the gospel. And and that was one of the things with that, you did a good transition from the issue at hand to the gospel in a very natural way. And we're not going to play that game because this is a long enough episode. But uh, if you listen to the other weeklies, you're going to hear that game and, and, That's something that might help you to be able to start gospel conversations. So uh, I want to encourage folks, if you want to learn more about Striving for Eternity, go to our website, strivingforeternity.org. We've got a couple conferences that are going to be coming up uh, July. uh, I think it's 21st in New Jersey is what was formerly known as Jersey Fire, now being called the Equip New Jersey. Why did we change the name? Because there was something called the Strange Fire Conference, and now everyone thinks our conference is charismatic. No, it was using it in a biblical sense, warning the loss of the fire to come. We were, we were talking judgment fire, but uh, but because of that confusion, we decided we would change the name to be really what we are about equipping people. So uh, that information, I don't know if it's up on the website yet, but that will be up there. There might be We might continue our one in Ohio and in Northern California. So get if you are on the website you can get the newsletter find out more about that because we will notify folks through the newsletter we thank you guys for listening we'll be back with a daily podcast next morning and uh, we'll have another weekly next week this has been a difficult topic this is one that is very controversial and very emotional i ask that if you want to challenge me i'm fine but challenge me with scripture, not your emotion. That's my one request. I've tried to address this by showing a different side. Also tried to address this by addressing it with what scripture actually says and where I think this scripture is is dealing with this. And so I want to say that if we look at that, that we end up looking at this, we have to think our way through this issue, not feel our way through this issue. So I challenge you to please consider thinking your way through this issue. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and share with your friends. And write a review on iTunes for us if you would. All right. Thank you very much.
1: This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.